You'll never know him until you begin to realize you need him. And so that's why it's necessary to deal with a message on sin. To bring to our understanding, wow, I am a sinner saved by grace. I do need Jesus Christ. So we are in Joshua chapter 23. To give you context to this passage, we're, we're right near the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua has led the children of Israel in a mighty campaign as they have entered into Israel and they've begun to take what is the promised land. If you remember the story, if you're familiar with this, uh, this Bible story, a God led Israel out of Egypt using his man Moses. Because of Moses' unbelief and disobedience, God could not continue to use Moses in the promised land. And so he allowed Joshua to be the second man that were the, uh, the, the, the predecessor that would take the role there that Moses would pass on the baton, as it were. And, and Joshua then would, would lead the children of Israel into, uh, into Canaan, into the promised land. And they would cross the Jordan. So if you were, to, if I were to put a, a picture on the slide here of Israel, Palestine, you'd see on the east side, you'd see the Jordan River running north to south. On the uh, west side, you'd see the Mediterranean Sea. And then the southern side, you'd see Egypt. In the north, you'd see, and I can't remember which country is up there, but if you know your geography, that one of those countries up there. And, and they attacked uh, the promised land right in the center. They would cross the Jordan. They'd attack the, the center part, and they, they'd take that middle part of Palestine. And from there, they'd move forward. Forward and, and they'd only take a certain amount of cities, a certain amount of provinces, if I can put it that way, uh, before Joshua is about ready to die. And he knows there's a lot more land that needs to be won. Oh, it's been promised to them. The deed is in their hand. God has already told them, this land is for you, but it's not yet been conquered. There's ungodly pagan inhabitants still living there. God says, it's yours but you still need to take it. So Joshua's about to die, and he's challenging the children of Israel, I want you to go forward and finish the job. So look with me in, cha in chapter 23, verse 3. The scripture says, as, as Joshua is speaking to the leadership there, verse 3, he says, And ye have seen all... Actually, let me back up just so you get a little more context. Verse 2, Joshua called uh, for all of Israel, for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. Okay, so just in those three verses that I read, he's explaining in the text what I just illustrated or mentioned a minute ago, that they are taking the promised land from the, from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean. So he's reminding them, this is what God has promised you. Keep in mind, young people, you will never move into a place, a period of time where you've become, a, uh, come, become deeply uh, in, in a knowledge and intimate way of Jesus Christ without remembering what he has done. Sorry, I keep messing with this, but I, I struggle. I think my ears are shaped the wrong way. These things never stick right. I may have to do a lapel at some point, Brother Mike, just, just so you know. But uh, anyways, if it, keeps, if it falls off, I'll just shout. We'll see how that goes. But he's reminding them of what kind of a God they have. And, and young people, it is appropriate to regularly remind yourself who Jesus is and what he has done. Sometimes you'll hear people in, from different circles, they'll say, well, you ought to preach the gospel always to yourself. Did you know that's not just for the contemporary crowd? That's for all of us. That we ought to be reminded on a regular basis what Jesus has done for us who he is, and that's exactly what Joshua's doing here. So he reminds them, this is what God has done for you up to this point. Verse 5, And the Lord your God, he 
shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Now look at verse 11. I'm going to verse 13. That's where I'm going, so stay with me. Verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God, else... If ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. There, Joshua is challenging the people. He's reminding them what God has done. He's reminding them of the promise that God has given them. He reminds them of their history, what God has done for them, and what He will do for them, and then He warns them. He says, please, guys, stick with the stuff. Stick with being obedient to God. Stay with Jesus. Stay with the Word. Look what He has given to you. You don't have to add to it. And you don't have to diminish it. Just be obedient. And I promise you, he tells them in verse 10, the odds are stacked in your favor. One man shall chase a thousand. That's pretty good odds, wouldn't you say? I mean, wouldn't you like to go into battle? And the captain says, hey, we got a word from headquarters. God says uh, that each one of you, you're going to knock out a thousand. And if, if, if he literally means what he's saying, which is how you read the scriptures, then he means that, that one man has the ability to destroy a, 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 such a large group of people that it is uncanny, it, it is not even possible, except for God deliver. So this is the point that he's trying to make. It's God that's going to do, do the delivering. He's done it for you in the past. He will do it in the future. So guys, take the land, because if you don't, Know for a certainty that the very people that God promised he would destroy and remove the inhabitants that God said, these are the ones I'm going to drive out, those very same people are going to come back and they are going to be scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish. This is what he's saying. Those people that you will conquer, if you don't, they will come back and conquer you. So let me just ask you, is the, the, the promise of victory, I want you all to think about this, has Joshua reminded them of God's promise? Is the promise of victory sure? Yes or no? Okay, let's, let's think about that again. I want, I want all you to get this because this is very important to where we're going with this passage. Is the promise of victory sure? Yes or no? Like one to a thousand. One man's going to destroy a thousand. It's sure. Is God's ability, is it, is it there? Can God deliver the children of Israel? Yes or no? Okay. Is the warning also very clear? Yes or no? 
And notice the exact phrasing he does in verse, says in verse 12. Look, he says, else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations. So he's saying these people, these pagan people, if you go in and you start making marriages with them, your boys say, hey, I like that girl. Let's not kill her. Let's not be obedient to what God is saying. Let's marry her instead. He's saying, don't do that. Uh, he's saying, don't go into them and try to make them slaves and try to make them work for you. Don't do that. That's dangerous. Don't go into them and say, hey, we can be friends. He says, don't do that because if you do, they will destroy you. So, so is the warning clear? Joshua's not so sure if they've, they've caught it. And so he says, you know, guys, you're going to fail. You're not going to stick with this. And the people of Israel, they say, man, Joshua, we're sticking with this. We believe God can do it. We're sticking with this. And he says, I'm not so sure about that. And uh, he, the, the famous verses in chapter 24 where he says, you know, you need to choose where, who you're going to serve because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and that's in response to the, to the children of Israel saying, no, we're sticking with God. Look over at chapter 24, verse 21. The people, they respond in verse 21 of 24, of chapter 24, the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen, to, uh, chosen ye the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And so the people are being very, very clear. We heard it, we understand it, and we're sticking with God. And Joshua says, Okay. And Joshua, the book of Joshua ends with Joshua dying. Now we enter into Judges chapter 1. This is a seamless progression historically from the end of Joshua into Judges chapter 1. Look at the ver verse 1 of, of Judges 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So here's what's happening. Jo Joshua comes to them. He challenges them. It's clear. The promise is clear. The warning is clear. Joshua dies. And now the children of Israel get together and they say, Okay, our leader is dead. Now we must obey. Now let me ask you. Do you think the children of Israel wanted to obey? Yes or no? Okay, we're mixed here. Do you think they were uh, like they had this evil conniving scheme like, hey, uh, let's trick Joshua into thinking that we're going to go take the land and as soon as he croaks, we're going to renege. Do you think that's what they were doing? No, I think, in fact, if we were to read all the passages three times, they say to him, no, Joshua, we really are going to do right this time. I don't think that they were being disingenuous. I don't think they were being dishonest. I believe the children of Israel really wanted to do right. Young people, I believe you all do as well. You know, I have never counseled a young man struggling with pornography who is sitting there saying, yeah, I, I just want my pornography. I don't want to talk to a counselor. No, any guy who's ever come to a counselor to talk about struggling with pornography, it's because I want to do right, but I'm stuck. I'm caught. I'm trapped, and I don't know how to get out. Look, I'm, sin will catch the people who, who want the sin, absolutely. Sin also catches the people who were genuine, like you all in this room, and like the preacher included. So what is the error? Because if you know the book of Judges, it's not a pretty picture. The book of Judges, and we're going to just read a couple of verses here in Judges chapter 1, but the rest of the book of Judges is a spiral uh, of sin and degradation throughout the rest of the book where we, by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, you're going, man, these guys have no moral compass. They're doing whatever seems to be right in their own eyes. And the end of the book of Judges came because of the failure we are now going to see in chapter 1. 
People come to God and they say, okay, God, uh, who's supposed to take the land? Because Joshua told us, take the land. We're going to drive out the inhabitants. We're going to do it. Lord, who is it? Verse 2, and the Lord said, Judah shall go up and fight. And so that's exactly what happens. Judah takes their, uh, other, their brother Simeon, his tribe, and Judah and Simeon go together, and they start battling. And the, and the first 15, 20 verses of, of the book of Judges is all about victory. Man, they're doing it exactly what they had promised. They conquered this city, and they conquered that city, and they are moving forward. Now look with me in verse 18. Also, Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ashkelon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. Man, this is sounding so good. Verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah and drave out the inhabitants of the mountains. Do you see the next phrase? But could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Verse 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. Look down 27, verse 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean. Verse 28, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Verse 29 of Judges 1, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Verse 32, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. 33, neither did Naphtali drive them out. Are you seeing what's going on in this passage? They started so well, sincerely. By the, end of the, week, by the time we get to the end of chapter 1, nearly every tribe has made some sort of surrender of God's will and yielded to the pagan inhabitants. Why? It started back in verse 19, when they saw victory after victory after victory, and they said, whoa, 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 these, these people, they've got chariots, and they've got chariots of iron, and I don't know if we can take chariots of iron, like chariots of wood, we can take that. We've seen Ben-Hur, we know how that goes. But chariots of iron, we're not really sure if this is going to work so well. Let me ask you this, has chariots of iron ever been a problem for the children of Israel before? Does anybody remember the Red Sea crossing? When chariots of iron were easily destroyed? And the children of Israel would say, but yeah, but, but Lord, come on. That's because you were doing it. Exactly. Amen. See, what happened in this passage is they, they're starting to battle. They're starting to do right. And as soon as a conflict comes up that they don't think they can handle, they back off and that begins the progression of failure, so that by the end of chapter 1, they have made marriages, they've made slaves. What they've done is they have incorporated these pagan, so th these pagan nations. Let me just help you understand what, about these pagan nations. Some of these pagan nations were known, their, their religious rituals were uh, sexual out, outworkings. Uh, uh, it, they, would, they had whole entire uh, rituals that where they would have a, a uh, and I, I want to be, be careful in how I say this, but they, they had, it, was com it was completely debauched, immoral. It, they, they worshipped their god of uh, uh, fertility and immorality through a sexual act, and that was their form of worship. It was completely ungodly. And these people said, no, no, we, we can hold them at bay. But after a while, they said, well, we can make friends with them. And we can marry their, their girls. And, and maybe what we'll do is we'll make them slaves. I know what we'll do. They'll come and they'll work for us. That, that, what was God thinking? God, now we can make money. 
that's the way to do it. They'll work for us. They're going to be our servants. In fact, we'll make them pay us. This is the greatest money-making scheme. I don't know why God didn't think about this. And they figured out God, and they take things into their own hands. Now look at chapter 2. The first verse of chapter 2, God is sending his angel to speak to the children of Israel, and he's bringing a warning. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Do you hear the pleading in the angel's voice? As he knows, do you realize? He's pleading with them, guys, don't you realize the power that you had at your fingertips? Don't you realize how good your God is and what he was ready to do for you? Don't you know what he's done in the past? And all he told you is, don't make a league with the foreign pagan inhabitants. Why would you do that? He's not beating them with a baseball bat. But I believe it represents the Spirit's grieving when He sees His children entering into sin and they didn't need to. Young people, my message this evening is very simple. I'm sure that most of you are ahead of me on the application already. The message is simple. Have you allowed any pagan inhabitants into the land? I'm saying the promised land, your body, your temple, God who lives inside of you, who has made you holy. I'm saying, have you allowed any ungodlinesses inside the land where God has said, you were a new creature. I have made you new. My spirit lives inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory and the, the power of deliverance and the promise of victory is there for you. And God is saying to you, my child, you are righteous and I want to sanctify you. I want to grow you. You have the ability. And some of you went to teen camp and you've gone to teen uh, 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 winter retreats before and you've said, yes, Lord, I want to be obedient. And some of you have gone back and you sat down with a counselor and you said, I got to get that right. And I'm going to delete that app and I'm going to take the, uh, get rid of that tablet. And I'm, I'm going to go back to having a dumb phone because I can't heart, handle my smartphone. And some of you have made decisions. And then you went home. Like I have. And after a month you thought, well, that app wasn't that bad. It was just some of the, there was a couple of things on there. I think I can re-download it and, and I'll be able to hold it. I, I think I can handle this one. Or we said, well, that subscription, I've kind of missed that, uh, that streaming that I've been watching those. And I'll, make, I'll just make sure I don't watch the bad ones. I'll, do, I'll re-download, I'll re-subscribe to it, and I'll just watch a few of the good ones. Or maybe you thought, well, I'll just pull that Xbox out from underneath my bed because I spent 500 hours on it last summer, and I knew I was wasting time, and God dealt with me about it, and I surrendered it to Jesus. But boy, I'm kind of missing my war zone a little bit, and so I pull it back out. I don't know, do you, what, you play Warzone on Xbox? I don't even know. You can? Okay, you can. All right. I'm clearly not a... I'm not a video game junkie. Uh, but but, but we, we've all done that. And what we did was, Lord, I don't know if that level of expulsion of the ungodly inhabitants is really necessary. I think I can handle some of them. May I ask you, young people, are you handling them? 
you'll hear some guys plead Christian liberty, and the scripture is very clear about what Christian liberty is, and, I, and, and, and I'm all about Christian liberty, but some men will plead their Christian liberty, and they will say, look, I have the right to drink this, or watch that, or go there, or wear this, and I can say, brother, maybe you do have the Christian liberty, but are you handling it, or have you fallen into sin through it? Because young people, just because you want to be a mature Christian, if you are not dealing, if you're not handling the temptation, you need to stop kidding yourself, stop fooling with yourself, and just admit, I'm not handling this well. When, I remember my, my dad, I, I hated it when I was a teenager, but he didn't allow us to, want, uh, to play video games. And uh, so throw, growing up uh, in video, when, or, and when I was a kid, whenever you go to a friend's house and they had video games, we could play it with them. But I was one of those guys that was terrible on video games. Like if we played, you know, Need for Speed or something like that, I was the guy with the controller going like this, like, because I just, I couldn't manage to do it. I had to, I had to turn with everything, because I just, I'm terrible at that. Play Madden. Have you ever played Madden? Okay. X every time. Just, I, I don't know what play it was. I just hit X, because I'm just, I'm a terrible video gamer. So guess what? It's really easy for me to preach against video games because it's not my vice. <laughs> I was at a camp in West Virginia. One of the counselors came to me. He said, before I got right with God, he said, one summer, I, he said, I spent, I think it was 450 or maybe it was 500, uh, logged 500 hours on my Xbox. Man, can you imagine what you could do with 500 hours? And, and, I've, and I've preached on that before. Man, I was at one church down in Florida. I see this kid in the back. He's playing. I can't tell him to talk to him. And I said, hey, you're probably pretty good at that. He said, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Won't even look up at me. Just, just playing, on your, playing on his device. And I said, hey, you're probably too good, right? And he kind of looks at me. And I, and he just keep, I said, hey, I got a friend that did 500 hours one time. I'm thinking, that's incredible. He goes, that's nothing. I did 850. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> like, come on. Okay, but the truth is, it's easy for me to, nail video games because I've never struggled with video games. But what about Hulu or YouTube or Instagram or the Facebook shorts? Look, young people, we need to be honest with ourselves. God gives us Christian liberty. Yes, we can have some of those apps. There's nothing wrong with social media. Please listen up here. There's nothing wrong with social media, but I just want to say, young men, if you are regularly looking at immodest, unclad women on your social media account, you are not handling it. Stop fooling yourself. Young ladies, if you are in a secret relationship on your social media account, if you're posting pictures of yourself or viewing things that you ought not stop fooling yourself, you've allowed a pagan inhabitant into your life and you need to deal with it. I am not telling you, you did that, that uh, you should never have social media. I have social media. But what I'm saying is, look, God is saying, forsake. He says, look, if you confess your sins, you will have mercy. I want to give you mercy. Please confess and forsake. But young people, if you will not forsake, then what that reveals is all you want is confession to get rid of the shame and the guilt, but you're not willing to actually deal with the problem. What that means is God deals with you in summer camp about the movie that you've been watching, and you say, Lord, I shouldn't watch that. And you put it back in the jacket, DVD jacket, and you slide it back on your shelf just in case in three months, in a week moment, you might want to watch it again. The truth is, we've all been there preacher included. God had a deal with me this summer about my, uh, uh, on Facebook. It's, it's, it's not easy as a preacher to mention these things, but young people, I think it's helpful for you to know that the guy preaching to you has feet of clay as well. One night my children were sick and my wife was not feeling well. We rolled into a church and I was not preaching the next day. The next day was going to be a travel day and so there's no spiritual pressure. They all went to bed at 8 o'clock. 
I'm not going to go to bed at 8 o'clock. I'm going to lay in bed for two hours. And so I pulled out my phone and, and, and strolling through some of the news articles on Facebook, and there's a highlight video from Conor McGregor. And so I watched it. And I'll tell you, there was actually nothing, uh, you, I guess you could argue about the violence issue, but there was nothing uh, morally as far as there was not language, there was not women there. Uh, and so I watched the 15-second clip. And you know how the Facebook shorts go. The next one, reading your algorithm, goes to the next video. And it's about 15 or 20 seconds. They're all designed to do this. Not supposed to take a long time where you look at that and say, wow, an hour and six minutes? I can't do that. It's like, oh, 15 seconds, 35 seconds. They've designed it appropriately knowing who the sucker is. <laughs> and so I watch another one. And Michael Jordan. Oh, man, I love Michael Jordan. Watch the Michael Jordan. Oh, man. Uh, Larry Bird. Okay, watch another. Pete Maravich. I didn't even know they had video cameras back then. I'll watch another one. Watch another one. Watch another one. Watch another one. 10.30. Two and a half hours. I'm just telling you, young people, God dealt with me because he said, Caleb, stop fooling yourself. You're not handling it. And I had talked with my wife. Look, I'll tell you, video games is not my struggle, but entertainment is. Wanting to be entertained. And I have had to make some very hard decisions. In fact, the very next day, I called three different men that are all in my accountability group. One was my dad, one was my brother-in-law, one was my brother, and I called all three men. All three men who know what I do for a living. I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to struggle, right? <laughs> and I called all three men. I said, guys, I made a mistake yesterday, but it's a mistake that has been leading up to, like, that didn't come out of the blue. I've gotten used to wasting 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I've gotten used to that. It hasn't seemed to be a big deal until all of a sudden one night I waste two and a half hours. Maybe some of you think two and a half hours, Brother Reed, it can't be that big of a deal. When you are a husband and a father, your family cannot afford for you to be wasting that kind of time. Some of you, this is a struggle for some of you because you're like, hey, I'm not a husband, I'm not a father, and it doesn't even seem like, like, okay, so I spend two and a half hours. Who suffers? You do. Look, young people, our generation, we, we, we are so accustomed to infusing into our minds just mass entertainment that it, we don't know how to sit still any longer. I'm not even saying just sitting still here. What I'm saying is we don't know how to hear the Spirit of God we don't know how to be quiet for a moment. We don't know how to take 10 minutes and spend 10 minutes in prayer. If I took, if tonight, if I closed this down and we had 10 minutes of prayer time, some of you wouldn't know how to get past minute two. You're being hurt. I'm being hurt. But the, what I'm trying to get at young people is, look, every single one of us have allowed areas into our life where we, we've gotten used to it, we thought we could control it, and God is pleading with us saying, my child, stop fooling yourself. May I plead with the young men? I shouldn't even say young men. This is, a young, this, this is a problem across the board, ladies and men. Look, guys, if, girls, if, if you're reg regularly watching pornography on one of these devices, you need to get help. I'm not saying like, wow, you need to get help. What I mean is you're hurting and there's help. I'm sure you have heard the statistics, but the statistics that have come out in recent years are telling us that in a group of this size, if I was to ask you to stand, the, the, according to the proportions, if I said how many of you have looked at pornography in the last 48 hours, if statistically, that group and this group, the two, these two, the, the right half and the middle, you'd have to stand. All of you would have to stand. Seven out of ten men in our evangelical churches today have admitted to watching pornography in three out of ten women. Which is, what that means, it's telling us is, it's a problem. And there's a lot of people in this room that are struggling with it right now. 
I would be naive to think that there's only a few of you struggling with it. Look, when I sit down with a young man to counsel him, I, I'm not wondering if he's looking at pornography. I'm wondering how much. And, and I, my, my wife and I just counseled a young lady just uh, not long ago, a couple of months ago, a young lady who had been looking at pornography for quite some time, and she, she, she came to us finally in tears, and she was saying, look, I didn't, she said, I've been to the Christian camps. And she said, Brother Reed, I've even heard you preach on it. And I thought, I can never deal with this because I'm a girl. And, and girls aren't supposed to have this struggle. Well, guess what they do? We've got to get our head out of the sand and stop pretending it's not an issue. I'm just saying, young ladies, there are ladies around the country who are getting victory. There are young men, there are men around the nation who are getting victory. I am a testimony of victory over pornography. There's men in this room, some of your counselors, your, your sponsors who could tell you if they were honest with you that they are trophies of God's grace. There may be may some counselors and some sponsors where you are not right now and you need to be. Not because, well, you're a counselor or a sponsor. No, because I'm saying Jesus' victory is possible, but you have to get honest. It's not easy to talk about these things, but young people, what about music? Music, music be the, th the thing back in the 80s that they always hammered because it was like the biggest deal of the day. Now music is like, why would you even preach on music? Uh, young people, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but here's, I, I can tell you this, and you know this. There is music that honors God, and there is music that doesn't honor God. Listen, if you're music, okay, a lot of you from Texas. Guess what? In, in, in Maine, Maine's music is the same thing as Texas. We love our country music. Okay? All right, I named a genre. Let's just, let's just talk about it, okay? I'm not, I'm not debating you on the musicality of it. Let's not even talk about that. Here's what I'm talking about. When your music is telling you to go get drunk and be somebody, God is grieved. Not because, oh man, they failed again. They listened to that music. That's not why God's grieved. God's grief is saying, my child, don't turn it on again. You're hurting yourself. My child, don't do it again. My child, you don't know what that's doing to your conscience. You don't know what that's doing to your spirit. My child, please stop. That's why he's grieved. Look, when, 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 your, when your music encourages you to have a one-night stand or to flash your number to a guy and say, hey, call me maybe, I'm, ju I'm just saying, okay, I named a song that's popular, I guess. Listen, let's just be honest, guys. That's not helping you. And the truth is, it's doing more to hinder your spirit than you even realize. And I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you because God's mercy and his grace is there and his relationship is present to, to, to meet your needs. You don't need that when you're meeting with Jesus. In fact, it may be hindering you from meeting with Jesus. What about the relationships? Look, you, you need to be under your parents' leadership for however they want you to do relationships in your home. But if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, even if your parents are, are okay with it, the Bible says it's wrong. Flee fornication. The Bible is very clear in many areas about flaming, or fanning, I should say, the sexual flame. And if, if you've got your hands on your boyfriend or your girlfriend in ways that only a husband and wife should do, God is saying, flee fornication. I, it does not matter if your parents are okay with it. God is not. Amen. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir in this matter. I, I don't really know. Maybe you guys are all just like me. 
Because when I was a teenager, I was writing notes behind my parents' back. And some people are like, okay, how, how, what, what harm can that be? I wasn't honoring my mother and my father. So I was in disobedience. And guess who it was harming? Me and a lot of other people. What I'm pleading with you young people is, have you gotten accustomed to allowing ungodly inhabitants? Because what God is saying to the young men and to the young ladies, to the sponsors, from the staff to the preacher to the youngest of us, God is saying, where have you gotten accustomed with allowing ungodliness into your life? And the angel reminds us here, you don't need to live that way. If you were to read the rest of Judges, I've mentioned this already, but into Judges chapter 2, and I'm almost done here, but in Judges chapter 2, you'll find that those very people, the ones I named, the, uh, the, the, Asherite, or excuse me, the uh, Canaanites and the, the uh, Philistines and some of these people that they were trying to drive out, if you read through the rest of the, the chapters, you'll find out it was those very people that they had the one to a thousand odds with. Uh, victory was, was clear, it was there, it was easy because God was doing it. It'd be those exact nations who they would live under bondage for the rest of the book of Judges. Is there anyone here living in bondage? Maybe someone here who's considered even recently suicide. You say, Brother Reed, we don't, we don't think about those things. You'd be surprised how many young people are. Maybe there's someone here who you feel like, I've tried. I've been to the teen camp. I've been to the winter retreats. I've gone to the revival meetings. I've gone to the conferences. I've tried to get clean. I just can't get clean. You feel like you're in bondage? Well, guess what? God is not done with you. In the book of Psalms, we see, and this is where I'll conclude, Psalm 106, God gives us a glimpse into this very passage. He reminds the readers of how the children of Israel failed to be obedient. The scripture says in Psalm 106, verse 34, just listen, I want you to just listen to these words. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. They served their idols and were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters. Do you see what the passage is saying? It said they went so far that they took their own children, the ones that they had given birth to, they took those children and they took them and they sacrificed them, driving a knife through their chest and allowing the blood uh, to pour out over the altar. And they sacrificed them to unknown gods. And you say, who would go that far? That is the call of every man who ever thought, I can handle it, is when they say, I never thought I'd go that far. That's what's happening in this passage. To the rest of Psalm 106, it lays out how many, they, they, they were defiled with their own works. They went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he did hoard his own inheritance. Verse 44, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. When he heard their cry, he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also be pitied uh, of all those that carried them captives. Captives, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? The psalmist is saying, God was not done with them. You say, oh yeah, that's right. He was going to deal with them. No, this is what he's saying. I will still deliver anyone who will humble themselves. Young people, as we conclude our very first service here this evening, my, my plea for you is let's deal with the bondage.
are you, are you clean tonight? If I was to walk throughout the auditorium here, the, the gymnasium, and I was to ask you individually, are you clean right now? Are you clean? Could you say before God right now that you're clean? I'm asking counselors as well. If I called you by name, if I asked you, are you clean right now? I'm not asking you to be introspective like, oh, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. No, I'm saying, is there a known area? Look, they didn't know. Like, oh, I didn't realize we, not, we made a marriage with a pagan girl. I didn't realize. No, they knew. I'm asking you, are there known areas where you know two, knew two nights ago you binge watched on pornography and you know right now you need to deal with it? I'm saying you know right now that the note that is, or maybe the text message that's on your phone from that girl or, or the one you're composing to that boy, or, or you know the app that, you, that God has been dealing with you about. I'm saying do you, is there an area where you know that God's saying deal with it? Then the pleading of Psalm 106 is your God is ready to pardon if you would humble yourself. Young people, the journey to get out of bondage, it is a journey. But the journey is always marked by humility and honesty. So would we be willing to do that here this evening?